today, but, but one of the things that we wanted to do today was kind of emphasize our ministry that we've had and will have with children and teenagers. And at the beginning, when you came in here today, if you were a few minutes early, thanks guys, appreciate that. Um, if you were a few minutes early, you probably saw uh, that video up on the screen where it was kind of highlighting ministry of the last 10 years. And um, it, it's going to show at the end of our service today. I got to tell you, it's a little tough for me to watch it because uh, my kids have grown up here for 11 years. So seeing their little faces when they were small and now they're not so small anymore, um, kind of grabbed this old sentimental guy's heart and sent me some bad places. So Nancy said to me, now don't look at that screen when those pictures are up there before church. You don't want to look at that. So I didn't. I didn't. I did not. I did not watch it. So, you know, God has given me um, just one of the joys of my life, quite honestly, has been the fact that the Lord has given me the opportunity to invest in other people all, most of my adult life. And um, it's a privilege. It's, not, it's one that I was never really worthy of. Um, but God, in His wisdom, gave me the opportunity to serve with, as, as a youth pastor and as a pastor and, and as a lay worker with, with youth. And just so many great memories. So much spiritual growth in my own life. Because God gave me the opportunity to invest in other people. I think sometimes when guys like myself get up here or ladies get up here and talk about that we need to invest our lives in other people, I think sometimes people sitting in the seat think that what we're trying to do is kind of meet our own needs. You know, like we have a need for nursery workers or we have a need for children's workers. Or we have a need for youth workers. And I think sometimes people hear a person like me say these things and they think maybe, that I'm trying to meet my own needs. But listen, I'm telling you as a person who who has lived this for most of my adult life, what I have received from investing in other people has far exceeded anything that I ever gave. It's the way of our God. It is the way of our Lord. When we invest our lives in other people, He pays back. Somebody said, God will be no man's debtor. Think about that. You're not going to get the end of your life and God say, oh, I owe you so much. That's not the way it works. He continues to pour out his blessings in our lives. And one of the the ways that that I've just been the the beneficiary of of God's care is, is through investing in other people. For about 11 years, I got to serve as a youth pastor at a local church here. And it was, a, it, was a great, it was a great pleasure. And I want to I start today with a story from my old youth ministry days. Um, I was a younger man then, okay? But, but um, it's relative to my story, but I weighed 50 pounds more, okay? See, you may not know this, but a few years ago, I, I got a really bad medical report, and, and I had to lose some weight. So I lost 50 pounds. And I'm a little embarrassed to even tell you that, to, to even see where I was before. Now, that relates to what I want to start with today. So when I was a youth pastor, I had a guy that worked with me, okay? His name was Dean, all right? And where I was 50 pounds heavier, six foot tall, Dean was a miniature man, okay? If you don't know Dean Plumley, um, he is a powerful man of God, but he's about five foot tall and weighs about 95 pounds soaking wet. But he is strong as can be. He is a walking muscle, and so we would do this little thing. We would go to different youth events, whether it be with our own church or if we happened to be someplace else where we were speaking together. 
You know, you get all these teenage guys together. You've got to understand, if you've never been in a locker room or in a dormitory or something with a bunch of guys, okay, there's just always this competition that's there. You just compete with one another. You know, who can jump up and touch the highest on the rim or, or you know, who can, who can do whatever, who can lift this thing or throw this rock or whatever. And so Dean and I would do this little, this little contest. We did this regularly. We'd get all the guys together. We're like in the barracks or in the dormitory, whatever, however you want to, however you want to picture it. And we would say, we, Dean and I are going to take on any two in a pull-up contest. We'll just, we'll just jump up. We would find a place to do pull-ups. And, and we have two of their strongest guys. We'll do pull-ups. And then me and Dean, us old guys, we would do pull-ups. And we would just, who could do the most? And so, you know, the guy, we, we'd get this all, you know, wound up. And the guys have finally picked their two strongest guys. You know, and these big old hulks would come out, you know, and I will do pull-ups. And we'd say, okay, you go first. And so those two guys would jump up there, and they'd just pump them out. You know, pull. Have you ever done a pull-up? They say fewer than 5% of adult men can do one pull-up. So if you can do a pull-up, you're, you're in pretty good shape. So these young men would jump up there. You know, I'm talking 15, 16 years old, and they would pump out these pull-ups. And they would one and then the other, and they'd get some grand total, okay? Maybe it'd be like 30. Listen, that's a high number. If you can get two guys that can do 15 pull-ups each, totaling 30, that's pretty impressive, so then it would be our turn. So I would go first, and I would go over to the whatever pull-up bar, and I'd jump up there, ugh, and I could usually do one. So with all of my might, one. And now the guys are like, yeah, we got him, we got him. And then it would be Dean's turn. Now, I don't want to exaggerate, and if Dean, you happen to hear this somehow, you can correct me on this. But that little guy could do an unlimited number of pull-ups. I mean, there was no limit. He'd just jump up there. He'd pump them out. And all the guys, you know, you start doing it, they start counting with him, you know. I mean, like, 24, 25, 26. And I would love, he, he, I'd see him do this at least twice, where he would come to the very last one, okay. He's hanging now by one hand. I mean, it's just, and he would reach up and grab this arm like this and do a one-arm pull-up. One pull they come down, and we would win the contest. You know, when Dean was on my team, I couldn't lose. I couldn't lose because he could do whatever needed to be done. He could handle it. So when Dean was on my team, there was no limit of what was going to happen. He changed everything in our competition. Now, here's why I wanted to start with that story. One is it reminds us of youth ministry and the fun that it can be. And if God calls you to that, listen, you need to invest your life there. Invest your life with children and teens. It's, it's, it's a great adventure, and, and you will never forget that time invested. You'll never regret it. But really, that's not, that's not the sole reason I wanted to start with that. I wanted to start with that because I think it illustrates a great truth that I believe many of us are missing. We're missing a reality that I want to I show us today from God's Word, and that's this. When God's Spirit comes and indwells you, when the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, when you put your trust in Christ, the Bible teaches that God's Spirit comes and indwells you. It's the same word used for demon possession, folks. God comes and overwhelms you and lives inside of you. A personal, permanent presence of God's Spirit in believers' lives. 
When you got saved, if you are in Christ today, if you put your trust in Jesus and the finished work of, of Christ on the cross, not in your own righteousness, but in God's, his spirit comes and indwells you. And what I want us to see today is that makes a huge and enormous and unlimited difference. When the spirit of God comes and lives in us, he changes everything. Everything. And I want us to see that today from God's Word. I want us to understand that. I want us to wrestle with that truth for many, many reasons. One of which is I want you to evaluate your own relationship with the Lord. Because I know that some people can be around Christianity a lot. And they can come to misunderstand what all of this is. And 1 John is clear. If you want to know if God has indwelt you, if you want to know if you're in Christ, look at your life. Look, look back at your life. Do you see the change that the Spirit of God has made? Do you see the difference He's made? 1 John doesn't tell you to look at other people's lives. He says, look at your own life. Only you know what's going on in your heart. Only you know the changes that have occurred. Only you know the truth about God's changing spirit in your life. It changes, we're going to see today, he changes our very nature. When the spirit of God comes in and dwells us, he changes our very nature. We are a new creature. We think different. We act different. We believe different. We have different priorities. We have different standards. Different, different things are now important to us. Everything changes. He changes how we hear. He changes how we hear, particularly the Word of God. We'll see that today. He changes our mind and how we think. And together what we're going to do is we're going to look at an example and just a brief look today. We're going to see those truths. We're going to look at the example of the Lord Jesus and see how He illustrates to us how it should look when the Spirit of God is controlling. And then finally what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and talk about how this relates to us as a church right now. Before we do that, though, I want us to go to God. I want us to go to His Spirit that He might speak to our hearts. So pray with me. As I, as I lead us, you, you go with an attitude of prayer that you want to hear from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank You for Your work in our lives. Lord, we know that You are present through Your Spirit. You tell us in Your Word that You'll never leave us, You'll never forsake us that all authority has been given to you and that you are with us wherever we go to the ends of the age. So, Father, I pray now that as we open up your word that your spirit would speak to us. I do want to lift up Pastor Billy and, and others that are in the Dominican Republic right now. God, encourage them, use them as they're down there serving you, pointing people to you. I pray, Lord, for some old partners of mine who are right now in Myanmar, in Burma, doing the same thing there a team from Independent Bible Church. They are serving the Lord right now, pointing people to you. God, you've sent us out and you've brought people to us. May we be aware and allow your spirit to use us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Got to be careful of our time today. We've got, a, we've got a powerful passage of Scripture to talk about. I want to remind you where we are. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn your in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. We're in the midst of a series through these two chapters. This is all about us investing our lives in God's plan. That's kind of our focus right now. We're talking about how we are to invest our lives in what God is doing. And our theme verse through this little series is this verse right here from chapter 3, verse number 9. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. And we've shared with you, this is the word synergy. You'll hear this word used a lot of times in business settings and in the world. You'll hear the word synergy. It means the idea that several pieces working together can accomplish more as a sum than what they could individually on their own. So what this passage is showing us is that we are synergizing with God in what he is doing. God is working in the world and he uses people to do that work. Our salvation is totally through God alone. We play no effort in it at all. But once he saves us, he now uses us to accomplish his plan. So we are God's fellow workers. A synergy that exists there. We open up our mouths and we speak and God uses it. Without that truth, I would not have the confidence to come up here right now. If I didn't think that God could use, God's Spirit could use His Word in a, in a miraculous, supernatural way, there's no way I'd walk up here right now. The world would call this foolish. This is, this is unheard of. It's moronic is the word that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This whole cross of Christ stuff is moronic. That's a Greek word. It means empty-headed, foolish, according to the world. But to us, it is the power of God the cross is. So we are his fellow workers. You are God's field, speaking to us now corporately as the body. We are his field. He's planted us. It's growing. It's, he's reaping now within his, those that he's working. We are God's building. What's that mean? It means he's building us up to be used in his plan. This is who you are in Christ. You're not just bumbling around this planet. You're not just living the little thing that you're doing. You are important in God's plan. He has an intention for you. If you're in Christ, he loves you. He wants to use you in what he's doing. And that's what you're designed for. Where we're going to primarily be, though, is in chapter 2. We're, going to work our, we're working our way towards that verse. I want to jump in at verse number 12. So follow along with me as I read it through the end of this chapter. Here's what Paul writes. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words. How interesting. It's through words that we impart truth. God has made us as communicators who communicate through words. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. We interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We'll know what that means in just a minute. Then Paul explains this a little bit more in verse number 14. He says, the natural person, now that's a, that's a power-packed word, natural person. That means the natural state that every human being is born into. The Bible, the Bible calls that person a natural person. You are born, honestly, the Bible says, as a sinner. 
That's our natural thing. We're born there. Something supernatural has to change, has to happen, that is, for that to change. So the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are moronic. They are folly to him or foolish. The things of the Spirit of God are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now this passage has much to say to us. But the thing that where I really want to land here today for our time is to see the difference that the Spirit of God makes in our life. The Spirit of God changes everything. He makes everything new. He changes everything about us. And we need to see that today. Now, some of you, I, I trust, work through that devotional that we handed out last week. If you don't know what I'm referring to, you can find it on the website. There's an email coming to you today that will remind you of it. And so what we're challenging our church to do is to work through this seven day for four weeks, seven days a week through this devotional. Go through at your own pace. If, you, if, you're, if you're behind, that's okay. Grab the email that will come in your box today. Jump in either week one or week two. It doesn't really matter. But I spent some time in it this week. And, and the devotional causes us to, to look back at, at Genesis chapter 3 where God says to Adam, where are you? Where are you? Remember that when Adam sinned and God came into the garden and said, where are you? And the author of this devotional challenged us to say, where are you spiritually? Where are you? Where are you? I want us to look at that same question and understand, first of all, our human condition. Our human condition. Let's look at this together. It's at verse number 14, primarily. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. I want to look at our human condition. And what, what the Spirit of God has done here is, is, it's like he's brought up these two figures for us to compare and contrast, okay? On one side, we have the natural person. It's how we are all born. You are born on this earth a certain way, now, some of us have different hair color. We have different skin color. We have, we're of different genders. We, we all can be very, very different. But there's one thing that's true of all of us. We're all born as sinners. And that doesn't mean that the natural person, that's who's over here, that doesn't mean there is wor- the worst that they can possibly be. Some natural people do very good things. Natural people can do good things. But they're still They're still stunted by their natural nature. And Paul is going to show us that. So the natural person, it's not that they do the absolute worst they could ever do. I know natural people who do very moral, righteous things. And they're good neighbors, and they're good citizens, and they're good Americans, and they're good workers, and they're good, all that. They're good at those things. But that's not what is most important. The natural person may be a good neighbor, but that's not what's most important. They may be a good citizen, but that's not what is most important. They might be a good team player, but that's not what's most important. Contrasting that, we have the spiritual person. 
And Paul is going to draw out this contrast so we can understand the difference. What's the difference between a natural person and a spiritual person? Okay, first of all, let's take a look at it. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are following him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, on the other hand, though, is able to judge all things. Let's talk about the words that represent these two concepts. The natural person is actually the word, if you were going to look at the word that that is translated to natural, it's the word soul. Soul. The sold person. Now, that's S-O-U-L. Now, here's what this is indicating to us, that all people are eternal. They have a soul that will last forever. But in reality, what this natural person is, is that they're nothing more than the animal that is a human being. That's what it is. They're dead to spiritual things, but they're alive and will live eternally somewhere, this natural person. But the spiritual person, that word that that translated spiritual in your Bible is a very interesting word. One one Greek expert says that the way you translate that concept would be spiritually dominated. They are dominated by the Spirit. This person is dominated by their natural tendency. This person is dominated by the Spirit. Paul's going to draw out this this contrast for us at length. This natural person is only concerned with the physical life. The things that they own, the things that they wear, the things that they, the things that they do, the, 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 the things of this natural life. The spiritual person is aware of those things, but they aren't priority. The priority for the spiritual person is the eternal. It is God. Pastor Steve referenced this, that we can go through things that the natural people go through as well. But the difference is we have a hope. We have an eternal mindset. The spiritual man is, he understands that things are more important than the natural, but instead we're driven by things that are spiritual. Now look what it says about it. They, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They, 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 they resist, they do not accept them because they're so consumed with the physical, they see us as being interested or consumed with the spiritual and call it foolish. They call it folly. It doesn't make any sense. The spiritual person, though, hears the word of God and God's spirit uses it in their lives. See, this is the miracle, the supernatural miracle of God's word. Here's what happens. We read this. All I, my only job is to shine light on this passage. That's what I do. I'm not here to entertain. I'm, I'm not here to wow you with, with you know, intellectual insights. I'm here to show you the Word of God. And God's Spirit uses it in lives. And the amazing thing is He'll do it in however many people are here that many different ways. He'll challenge you in a way different than you and you in a way different than you. He'll challenge things in your life. He'll take this truth. And he'll use it in our lives in that way. The natural person, on the other hand, rather being driven by spiritual things, they're driven by just the human things, the things you can see and feel and touch. The natural person can be called a naturalist or a materialist or an atheist. And all there is is what you see. And it says here that for them, the things of the Spirit of God are folly. 
So I sat this week and I thought about spiritual things and, and how does the natural man view them. And I have a list here. I'm going to just read it to you. Think about this. The natural man says, why honor and obey my parents? Why honor and obey them? They don't know what they're talking about. That's the natural man. The spiritual man says, no, these are people that God has placed in my life. The natural man says, why not fulfill my sexual desires? I'm a sexual being with sexual needs. Why not fulfill it? I have needs. The spiritual man says, no, God has made me in such a way. And he designed the sexual activity. And I will will keep it within the balance of what he has designed. The natural man says, why should I respect my husband? Why should I love my wife? Why should I give them the priority? Why should I be concerned with my spouse? That's what the natural man says. The natural man says, when they do right by me, I'll do right by them. But the spiritual man says, I'll go first. And I will love my wife. I'll go first. And I will honor my husband. I'll go first. And I'll prefer my spouse. See the difference? The contrast is right before us all the time. The natural man says, why engage in worship? Why gather here and worship the Lord? Why? I want to sleep in. I I want to sleep in this morning. I want to sit and have the comfort of the morning, read the newspaper and drink my coffee. Why worship? The spiritual man says, I was made for corporate worship. I'm I'm going to worship the Lord in one way or another for all of eternity. That doesn't mean you're going to sing songs forever. I know that. But you will worship the Lord forever. This is what the spiritual man understands. The natural man says, why should I be generous with my belongings? I have it, I earned it, I'll spend it. The spiritual man says, God has blessed me so I can be a blessing to others. But maybe most relevant to us today is where Paul is going. Look back at the passage. He says, the things of the Spirit of God, they are folly or foolish to the natural man. He is not able to understand them. The natural man cannot even understand what we are even speaking of. Do you remember? Before you were in Christ, now some of you were, you came to Jesus at such a young age, you don't remember life before. So what you've got to do, if that's you, is you've got to hear people like me talk about it, and, and you've got to kind of live vicariously through us. Listen, let me tell you about my own conversion. I got saved sometime in my teenage years, probably about age 16. I was at a church that spoke of Jesus all the time. I heard every story there was about Jesus. I heard about him walking on the water and raising Lazarus from the dead and even dying on a cross. But I'm telling you, until I was age 16 years old, I heard this stuff and I did not understand it. I did not understand what the cross meant. I did not understand what God's word meant. I did not understand. I thought it was just good moral teaching. I thought it was telling me how to be a good boy. And on that day, when I was 16 years old, and somebody's speaking up front and telling me what it means to put my trust in Christ, I realized then that my righteousness could never bring me to God. I had to put my trust in God. I had to put all of my sin on Christ. And he died in my place. It's possible you sit here week after week after week and not understand any of this because it is spiritually discerned. The natural man does not even understand. 
This is why I advise you against going into your workplace and beating people over the head with the Bible. Don't get on Facebook and put a bunch of comments about this or that or, or get into big some theological arguments. Because outside of Christ, people cannot understand. What do you tell them then? You point them to Jesus. You point them to Jesus. When people put their trust in Christ, this passage is now relevant. And these things of God are no longer foolish. They're no longer folly. They're spiritually discerned. Can I talk to you about that word? They are spiritually discerned. This comes from two Greek words, okay? Two Greek words, shove them together, and this is, what it, this is how you get there. One word means to question deeply, to, to, to evaluate at a very deep level. I picture like a scientist, okay, in a chemistry lab, you know, thinking about this and that and that. That's one word. But you cram another prefix on it that means repeated again and again and again. So what this word means that that spiritual truths and spiritual people do this when it says that they are spiritually discerned, what it means is that we, we ask questions again and again and again. That's how we read the Bible. That's how I hope that you're listening. I don't know if you're thinking about it, but that's what I'm doing here. I'm answering questions again and again and again. What does it mean to be a natural man? What does it mean to be a spiritual man? What does it mean to be spiritually discerning? What do these things mean? I'm answering those questions again and again and again because that's how we understand the Word of God. So we're having this huge contrast that, that Paul was making where we look at the spiritual man, we look at, well, the natural man, look at the spiritual man. One more time. Look at verse number 15. The spiritual person judges all things. So he's thinking, he's contemplating, or she is. But is himself, he's judged by no one. This is another contrast between the natural man and the spiritual man. The spiritual man says, my judge is God. I care not what anybody else thinks. I don't care what you think about me. Like me, love me, hate me, I don't care. Because I follow God. So the spiritual man is judged by no one. He judges God's word, but he's not judged by anybody. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you can look at it there in verse number 2, in verse number 3 and following, he says, I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself. That's a hard thing not to do. To evaluate yourself, Paul says, God is my judge. Now contrast that with the natural man. The natural man. He is consumed with what other people think of him or her. How do I look? How do I sound? What am I wearing? What do I drive? Where do I live? What's my income? Where do I work? All these things. The natural man is consumed by that. His every decision is made by what you think of him or her. That's the natural man. Where the spiritual man says, only God is my judge. The difference is stark. It's a difference between dark and light, black and white, dead and alive. Natural man, dead, darkness, consumed by others. 
spiritual man, alive, able to see the light, consumed and dominated by God's Spirit. Listen, all of humanity, all of humanity is divided into these two camps. Race doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. Country of origin doesn't matter. Economics doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. None of these things matter. What matters is natural or spiritual. Where do you stand? Where do you stand today? If you're spiritual, are you dominated by God's spirit? Are you That doesn't mean, by the way, if you're here, it doesn't mean that you don't care about the natural. You do. But the spiritual is priority. It's first. It's foremost. It's the thing I live for. The natural man, it's all he or she has is the natural. Take that away and you're suicidal. You just end it all over here in the natural world. God says, this is not what I had in store. It's not what I had for you. Just quickly, I I want to point out two other things. Um, We've we've seen that this is how God changes our very nature. I also want to just mention here briefly, and I don't have time to really develop it like I did the first point, but God also changes our hearing. He changes our hearing. Now now follow along with me here. I want to look at at the why, the what, and the how just briefly, okay? I want to look just briefly at the why, the what, and the how, and I want to challenge you with how you are hearing from God, okay? To find the the why, go all the way back up to verse number 10, okay? Go there with me. Look, look Look what God's Spirit is telling us, that God has revealed to us truth. We talked about this last week. The miracle of all miracles that God has, God has opened up himself and revealed to mankind truth. God has revealed himself and his nature and his ways to man. Look down at verse number 12. It tells us how he did that. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So God has revealed himself to mankind. He's revealed himself in a, in a miraculous way through his word. And the way he does that is through his spirit. His spirit draws people to himself. His spirit convinces you and I of the truth and applies it in our lives. But what I really want you to see here is verse number 13, because this is the what. Paul says, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but words implied there taught by the Spirit. What is Paul driving at here? Remember I had a friend who had, who had just came to Christ. She, was, she, she got saved as an adult, and she had just come to Christ, and and. And in her immaturity, we were in a small group together, she would, she would make this statement over and over and over. She would say, I'm just asking God to give me a sign. I'm just asking God to give me a sign. I just want God to speak to me and show me what he wants. I just want God to come to me and tell me what he wants me to do. She would say this often, just in her spiritual immaturity. Now you might say, I kind of think those things all the time. Why are you calling that spiritually immature? Here's why. 
God has already done that. You want a supernatural word from God? You want to hear, you want God to do a miracle and speak to you? The miracle's already done, folks. The miracle's already done. It is his word. He's already spoken to us through his word. Paul says, we're imparting to you through words. What are those words? These words. He's speaking of this very word that we are reading right now. You don't need a sign from God. You don't need a word from God. You need to pull out your Bible and open it up and spiritually discern. That's what we need to do. You don't need to go for some walk out in the woods and say, oh God, if you want to do something, you know, come and shine a bright light in my eyes. That's not the way it works. That's not the way he works. He works through his word. Remember when I told you spiritually discerned means? It means to question and question and question and question again. That's how we read God's word. I open up God's word and I go to it and I, I mine it now. I mine it. You know, like a coal miner down in southern West Virginia, you know, crouched down low, carrying that little light and a big shovel, working hard for 8, 10, 12-hour shifts to find a little, you know, trinket of, of coal. That's what we're after. We mine God's words. We don't just sort of like say, God, if you want to hear, you know, if you want to speak to me, do it right now. Well, he didn't. No, that's not what this word means. Spiritually discerned means to question and question and question and question again. That's the why, that's the what, and that's the how. And then just, just to end this little time here, notice what he says in verse number 16. Wonder of wonders, this is a miracle. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? That's a rhetorical question. Paul's not looking for an answer because the answer is nobody, Okay. It's a rhetorical question. It's, it's what Paul is doing is revealing the kind of questions that might come in our mind, okay? Well, who are you to teach God is really what he's saying. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. God not only changes our nature, he changes our hearing, and he even changes our mind. The word mind here is, is the idea of Thoughts and understanding and priorities and what drives us. That's what this word has in mind. Honestly, in our, in our, in our world today, it, it might be better to call this our heart. We kind of use the word heart more in, in, in the way that this concept is coming through than the word mind. It's what drives us. It's what motivates us. It's what moves us. We now have the mind of Christ. And he drives us. He motivates us. He moves us. If you're a spiritual person, if you're in the spirit today and and not just in the natural, if you're driven by things of God's spirit, his mind moves your actions. Now, I told you, I also want to, I want to look today, I wanted to walk through that passage, and then I, I wanted to help us kind of understand this in regards to our church. And, and I figured the best way we could understand this concept is probably to use chocolate, okay? So, so I, I want to use some chocolate to illustrate to you 
what should drive us? So my lovely assistants are coming up here to help me right now. Um, <laughs> Vanna, yeah, yeah, come on up here, lovely assistants. So how many here are fans of M&Ms? Oh, good. We got, we got several. We got several. Okay. So I'll need both. There, here comes the other. Yes, Vanna and Van, Vanna one and Vanna two. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I, I want to I help us to be driven by the mind of Christ now. See, what we're looking at here, thanks, buddy. We're, we're looking at what, what drives, what motivates us to action. And, I, and I'm applying this specifically to our church. So you like M&M's? Me too. I t- you want to have a pleasant experience? Well, keep this thing closed up like it's been all night and do this. Oh, it is lovely. I'm telling you. It's that chocolate with that candy coating that doesn't melt in your hands but does in your mouth. Man, I mean, it's just wave. Can you see it? Can you see the cloud raising into my face? It's wonderful. In this jar, there are five pounds of M&Ms, okay? This is 1,000, well, just shy of 2,000 M&Ms. It's a lot. You could spend hours having fun with that, right? That could be a, be a rough day the next day, but, but you could really enjoy these M&Ms. What's, what's significant about that? Center Bible Church was started in 2008 officially, but many of us were part of it in 2007. Before we ever launched Center Point Bible Church at Spring Rose Middle School, a lot of us were working and praying towards this end in 2007. Since 2007, the Spring Mills community has had about 1,900 homes added since 2007. So just shy of 2,000 homes added since 2007. And you feel it. These are homes now. These aren't people. These are homes added to just the Spring Mills community, not Berkeley County, to Falling Waters and the Spring Mills zip code. About 2,000 homes since 2007. And you feel it when you try to drive somewhere, when you go to Walmart, when you go to any restaurant and you wait in line. And I know many of us get frustrated and we say, why are all these people here? Get off my yard, right? That's kind of where we go, all right? 1,900 homes filled with children, adults, teenagers, all kinds of people. Now, that's impressive. But I want to blow your mind out, blow your mind with something else. According to the Berkeley County Planning Commission, they've already approved several homes in the Spring Mills community. As a matter of fact, they've already approved. These homes have not been built, but these homes have been approved coming to the Spring Mills community. So think about what this represents. These are people that may not live here yet. They might live in some other state or some other country. Maybe they just found out they lost their job and they're looking online and and they find Berkeley County, West Virginia. They're hiring Let's go there. Maybe they've lived just outside of the region and they're moving here for one reason or another. I mean, it's cheaper housing. We all know that. And they can make the drive. They can drive into the D.C. metro area. And so they're looking for homes. And so Berkeley County, Berkeley County has approved these homes in the Spring Mills community 
but they haven't been built yet. They've been approved and not built. They're coming our way. They're going to move to the sprint. They're going to move into your schools. They're going to move into your Walmart. They're going to drive on your roads, all that kind of stuff. They're going to live in the housing development that's now, you know, going to fill a farm that you ride by all the time. And you think, I can't live. They're going to sell that farm. What house is there? They're moving there. They're coming, folks. They're coming over and over and over. And the Lord is bringing them our way. This number right here, this, this seven pounds of M&Ms, okay, Seven pounds of M&Ms represents, according to the Berkeley County Planning Commission, the people that are coming our way. 3,500 building plats have been approved for the Spring Mills community and not built yet. Homes, not people. This thing's heavy. Homes with children, teenagers, and adults. And men and women with marriages or not, retired, waiting, most of them outside of Christ. Why do I say that? Because every study that's ever done of Americans finds that fewer than 10% agree to two statements. There is a heaven, and I can go there because of Jesus Christ. Fewer than 10% of Americans affirm both of those statements. There is a heaven, and I can, only, I can go there only through the finished work of Christ. So fewer than 10% of both of these containers now in the Spring Mills community will live all around us. See, the natural man says, oh, they're going to get in my way. They're going to drive up the cost of housing. They're going to clog up the roads and they're going to make the lines longer at Walmart and they're going to get on my nerves, right? But the spiritual man says, God is bringing them our way. We prayed earlier for for two people, two groups, one that went down the Dominican Republic and one is in Myanmar right now. Why are they there? I had to tell people about Jesus. And that's, that's well and fine. I'm, I'm very excited about that. But God is bringing people to us. And the Lord has invited us to join Him. Don't view it with just your natural eyes. View it with your spiritual man, your spiritual person, and see what God is doing. We've been talking about this at length as a church. If you haven't been over there yet, I encourage you to drive down T.J. Jackson Drive. Honestly, it was a miracle that God allowed us to make this purchase, and it'll be finalized probably this week. We, we want you to fully engage in what God is doing. Why? Because people need Christ. We've been sharing with you of late that we are in the midst of an investment campaign. We're challenging the body. We're challenging the body to invest their lives in what God is doing, to invest your lives, to to invest your your, your energy, to invest your tears, to invest your, your hard work, to invest your money, to invest all that you are in what God is doing. We've set a goal as a as a leadership team that over the next three years that we could completely pay off this building, that we might be debt free in three years. 
The only way that's going to happen is if God miraculously raises up $750,000 over the next three years through our church. Now, how does that happen? Say, well, what do we do? Do we make more product? Do we, do we you know, start making more? Do we, do we make the machine run 24 hours a day instead of 12? No. No, that's, that's not how God's work is funded. We don't, we don't make more product. We don't produce more. That's not the way it works. God's ministry, God's work is funded by God's people. By God's people. And so as was said last week, and we'll say for the next two weeks, here's what we ask you to do. We're asking the full body with your spiritual man, with your spiritual man, the spiritual person that you are, to pray. To pray. Pray that God would lead you. Pray that God would lead our church. Pray that he would continue to provide for us and show us what his will is. To fully participate in what we are doing. What's that mean? That means being here, that means hearing the Word of God, means part of a focus group, means doing the, the personal devotional that we've included. Participate in all of that. And then the third step is you obey God, not man. Remember what the spiritual man? Who judges the spiritual man? Who judges the spiritual person? What's the answer? You read it just a few minutes ago. No one. No one. You obey God in what he leads you to do. We're asking to join with us, folks, and seek the Lord through your spiritual person that God might call us to join him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I pray for us right now and in the future you have in store for Centerpoint Bible Church. Lord, I thank you for the way that, that you worked. God, it's been a process. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a journey. And now, Lord, we're excited about what you have for us. Thank you for the way that you showed us your will last week through the body. Miraculously, Lord, that, that doesn't happen in church circles. Thank you for this body of believers, Lord, and their desire to follow you and to, to allow you to lead them. And now, Lord, we, we look at these M&Ms as an illustration of people. And, Father, we prayed 11 years ago, that you would plant a church in Spring Mills community. And now, Lord, we're asking you to take that church and allow us to reach and disciple the people that you're bringing our way. Use us, Lord. Use us. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that brings us alive and changes our nature, changes our hearing, and changes our mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.